Hi everybody, welcome to Shouting from the Sidelines. Um, I have got a real treat for you today. We've got John Farnworth with us, who a lot of you listening to this will already know, but John's going to introduce himself in a second. He's got, I mean, his career is unbelievable. I can't, I can't even put into one sentence what he is anymore because he does that much. <laughs> <laughs> but John, amongst other things, um, is and has been a, a world champion freestyle footballer. Uh, he's a t- television host. He's, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it justice, so I'm going to let John introduce himself. Uh, John, thank you for coming on. So for anybody that doesn't know, if they've been living under a rock for the last few years, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Oh, thanks, Luke. Great to be here. Well, um, most people do know me as a football freestyler, which is, you know, obviously my, my main career and has been for many years. So, yeah, I've so in the past, I've won quite a few competitions. I've, I've, be, I've become like a world champion at football freestyle, European champion. And the past few years, I've been focused a lot on different world records, um, doing different things with the ball. So um, a, a couple of the notable ones would be um, crossing the Sahara while juggling a football. I climbed up to 6,000 meters of Mount Everest while juggling a football. So that's been my, my life for the, for the past... Pfft, 15 years um but as you mentioned there the, the past sort of two three years i've been doing a lot more media work i present a show called match of the day kickabout um, and i've worked on other shows like jamie johnson as a choreographer and also an actor and i've also worked on a show called can you kick it which is a cbbc show so some of the younger listeners might have seen that we did two series of that last year uh, but obviously things have been put on hold at the minute with the virus so but yeah it's been a busy few years but um everything i do always revolves around the ball and freestyle and football so it's always an honor to um to sort of you know work with the likes of you luke and sort of hear what you're doing so great to be here good thanks mate yeah yeah we're gonna come on to some of your challenges shortly because um they need to be spoken about in more detail. That's, you need to do them more justice because they are unbelievable, some of the things that you've, uh, that you've done and records that you've broke. So we'll come on to that a little bit later and all the charity stuff, obviously, as well. Um, I was keen to get you on, John, because I want to talk to you today about practice and, and obviously the support you've had from your parents and so forth as well for our parents that are listening. But we were talking off air about practice and about how for a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old mm. to just say go out and practice means absolutely nothing really and it's something that i'm guilty of saying every parent listening to this will be guilty of saying just go and practice go and practice well practice yeah. what how do i practice what should i practice yeah. and you are a case in point of you know sticking to a timetable and and practicing certain things to get to where you have done. And in this case, this was, um, you know, a freestyle football world champion. And again, we'll, we'll talk more about that shortly. But um, can you tell us a bit more, John, when you were a child, when you were a kid, what, what practice looked like for you? What sort of timetable, how many hours, the things that you did and, and so on? Yeah, so for me, I, I got into football when I was about nine or ten. I only came across freestyle when I was... 14, 15. So I went to a soccer school, Brazilian soccer schools, which obviously you're aware of Luke in Leeds at the time. And it, it sort of started to grow into Manchester, which isn't too far from me. And I started training there. And before that, I loved football and I still love football. But 
at that point in my life, um, I got a real love for the ball more than anything. And that, that's what led me to freestyle. So for me, it was like seeing other children that were way better than me. I saw that as a challenge. And I saw it was starting, you know, YouTube and like the internet was starting to grow. So I started to become aware of like what was possible with a ball and not just doing kickups. There was like skills on the ground you could do. There was like, you could balance the ball on, on your head. And I remember seeing a guy uh, called Mr. Wu, who was one of the most famous, he's the pioneering football freestyler, came from a football background. He was a player, got injured. He played at a good level in Germany, actually, but he, um, he sort of took the world by storm because he was the first footballer that could do amazing tricks and skills and he'd go around all the, the big football stadiums. And someone sent me a video of him just juggling a ball with his shins, with his toes, with his heels, with his back. And my friend was like, this is fake, like this isn't real. But I sort of realized that it wasn't, and it, you know, this guy had actually trained super hard. So after seeing that, and with the influence of the soccer school, which Simon set up, um, I, I just got hooked on training with the ball. And it was like this intrinsic thing. So at the time, I didn't really have many goals. I just then, you know, I enjoyed training with the ball. And it was like, right, this is the trick I'm going to learn. So I focus on one skill. Um, so one of the first skills I learned was to balance the ball on my foot flick it up and catch it on my neck. And that took me hours, weeks and months to, to perfect. But what I would do as a youngster would be, if I, I mean, nowadays there's so much, it does, it's very crowded, but back then it was probably two or three tricks. So I'd learn a trick and move on, but I would master it. I'd, I'd find real sort of enjoyment in the mastery process. I don't know why, I've just always been drawn to that, to, to the actual practice itself. Um, and as that started to develop, freestyle started to actually become a big part of my life and then when I was 18 19 I um I sort of had to make that decision whether I was gonna do something else whether I was gonna continue playing football and because I still played football at that time or was I gonna take one thing really seriously and that one thing to me even though it didn't make sense as a career at the time was freestyle I just loved it so I just started to then schedule, I, I started to think, right, if I was a footballer or even when I was back at school, I had like lessons to go to. I'd go to maths and then English and then science. And then at the end of that year, I'd take an exam and I'd either pass or fail, depending on how well I'd practiced or trained. So I approached freestyle like I did at school and I, and, and I sort of set myself a goal. That was the first time in my life when I set myself a really big goal, quite a scary one. And that was to win the world championship. And that was impossible to me at the time. Mr. Wu, who inspired me, was the main guy, but there were loads more upcoming freestylers at that time. Um, and ones that are now quite famous because of YouTube and social media. So I kind of took it seriously, trained every day to a schedule. I got up earlier and I, I just thought to myself, if I train more than everyone else, surely I'll, I'll, I'll win. You know, football is a bit different because there's other things to consider, like outside of you. But freestyle, luckily, because it's such an individual sport, you, you, you're only going to let yourself down if you don't train. And I quickly realized that. So, so yeah, I, I 
it all came from an intrinsic want to, to learn. You know, I was never pushed into it by my parents. In fact, my parents quite often told me to rest. <laughs> they were like, get inside, you're going to do your body harm. But I, I, I was just fascinated with the ball. I was fascinated with what was possible. Um, and after seeing various videos, I was like, that's what I wanted to do. Because it, it gave me that feeling of like, seeing almost like magic or seeing something that just blew your mind like that's what i wanted to give and pass on to other people because that inspired me so yeah so that's my in my journey in a nutshell in terms of like how i got started and how i approached my training and even to this day like i schedule my day at, you know very uh, meticulously yeah. like my morning I, I always have a set routine and you know I, I don't want to go like way into it and bore people, but I do think that like you do need routine, you need habits. Um, like I say, it's a crowded world. So if you've got habits, if you know you're training at this time every week, at this time every day, then you'll do it. Um, and I think you've got to love it as well. Like, like I said earlier, like I, I was drawn to the ball for whatever reason. I was drawn to freestyle. I still am. Um, and, and it fascinates me every day. So yeah, I think once you find that, you know, the rest does take care of itself, but you have to like keep on it. You need to, you need to do a little bit every day. Um, and a lot of people, you know, with training and stuff, they'll say like, how much do you train? But I think it's more about consistency rather than the amount. Cause you could do like 10 hours, be like, well, I've done 10 hours, but then you might not do it for like a week, a week or something. I always think it's better to be like consistent over a long period of time. Um, and it's baffling what you can achieve by doing a little bit every day. 100%. I think there's some massive takeaway points there for any, any ch child that's watching or any parents as well that's listening as well. You, the COVID situation, I remember at the start of, of this whole thing, the, um, the kids were all making these colour-coded timetables of, right, I'm yeah. going to do, I think it was like Joe Wick's PE at nine o'clock in the morning and then I'm going to do maths and so forth. There's a lot of hours in a day and yeah. take off the take off the time sleeping and so forth and look at how much is left. All right, I've got school for that amount of time, but I get home here. Yeah. I can take the easy way and I can go on the Xbox for two or three hours, or yeah. I could do half an hour to an hour of football training on those nights, aside from my other training that I do for my team or whatever. And it, it's, it's so simple that people, I just don't think they believe it. But when you said that about yeah. the consistency, that if you do that for a month, it becomes a habit. So then all of a sudden six months flies yeah. by and after six months, you're going to see a difference. And yeah, it might not be that they want to be a freestyler, but you, you went out and said, right, I'm going to practice balancing this, this ball on my foot and then I'm going to get it onto my head. That's the trick I'm going to nail first. It might be that a kid says, well, well, yeah, I'll do that because I can master some football. Or it might be that they go out and say, I'm going to hit the crossbar from 20 yards out 10 times in a row. Yeah. And, you know, that's them working on their long passing as an example. Yeah. And David Beckham's a great example of, of, um, of that consistency when he used to go out with his dad and be hitting free kicks and he had to hit a certain corner. Then he had to hit corners and he had to hit a certain part of the penalty spot or whatever else. And this is the thing, this is why I was so keen to get you on because what you do, and for any, anyone that's listening that's not seen John yet, you probably will have, but go and, go and YouTube and go and Google him. Some of the things that you do are mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. But it all started with that one thing, with that one yeah. thing of you learning that one thing to, to master. 
and then it yeah. went off from there. Um, you can you can apply that to anything. And just one thing while we're on that loop with the training, I think it's important now more than ever to not compare yourself to others and compare yourself to how you were yesterday. So in your class, like you might have, you might be the, the, the worst. Like I was never the best footballer in, in my team. I was never the best freestyler in my soccer school. I wasn't. But I think I, one thing I've learned over the years is to just better yourself every day, just better yourself every day, because not many people are willing to do that. And, and that's a very tough person to beat in anything. And once you have that mindset of not comparing yourself to them or, or this player or that player, how many goals they scored, how many assists they've made, how many skills they can do, just try and better yourself each day. Just try and go an inch more each day. And, and like we were saying, consistency of that over a five-year, 10-year, 15-year. I think sometimes when you look at the, the wider picture, then you think, well, actually, I can do anything. And I, I, I've used that. Um, and a, a lot of this was taught to me by, by Simon Clifford, when, who set up the soccer school that I was part of. And he had this philosophy about training. And I think he was you know, so ahead of the game in that. Um, but I've just applied that to everything I've done, whether I've been like hosting a TV show. I've just gone back to me being a kid practicing with the ball like when I first started hosting kickabout I wasn't I've never been on a course to, to learn to, to present but I was willing to like ask for the scripts to learn them to work on my voice to to try and model other people and then when you realize you can learn that skill that skill that skill you don't really have fear in the world you just you just know that you can learn anything and like COVID hits you're like okay it's not great, but how can I use that time? That's going to free up a lot of time for people to master something. And it really is a choice. Like it's, it's, it's the whole dead time or alive time thing. Are you going to use your time or are you just going to lay around watching YouTube or, you know, I know what I decide to do and everyone's different, but that's just my opinion. And I think, yeah, there's so much opportunity right now. It's, it's insane. It's the old like sets and reps thing as well, isn't it? If you go to the gym, you do X amount of reps for X amount of sets to build muscle um, or X amount of time on the running machine or whatever. I think, I think when you break down a particular skill, anything you do, whether it's hosting a TV show or becoming a world champion freestyler, that's the thing, isn't it? Right. I'll do, I'll do one more than I did yesterday. I'll do 10 yeah. minutes more than I did yesterday. And like you say, just competing against yourself. Cause you, you and I, I mean, we were at Gaff of town together back way back can't believe it was like what, probably 15 years ago now that sounds mental yeah. um and even then you could see that you had a drive for the ball you know you you you, you love the ball when we played in those uh, reserve team <laughs> matches it were like you want the ball and then you do like <laughs> six thousand step overs before and <laughs> um, and you could see that desire but even you know at training you'd be there before you'd probably stay a little bit after and you do these things on your own um and it's that that makes a difference, I think, and that, and that consistency. And certainly from my experience as a kid, like yourself, I, I was probably one of, the, one of the, I was sub all the time at school, never, never really played in the start in 11, but I just kept on going, kept on practicing. I ended up playing higher than a lot of the, the players that were in that school team. And, you know, didn't make it pro or anything like that, but I, I played to a high standard just from working yeah. and continuing to work. And it's, it's rubbish when you think you're not good enough but if you can go and get, get out of your own head and just go and compete against yourself a little bit. Yeah, I think, it's, um, I think most people in the world do themselves a disservice with what they believe they can do. Um, and like, you know, 
yeah, I've, I've always thought of going back to goals. Goals are important. Um, and it's that fine balance, isn't it? You need inspiration. You need to look at the top players in the world, like your Messi's and Ronaldo's. But the the chances that like they, they've got there because of the work. So if you're like a nine-year-old looking at Messi thinking, oh, he's amazing. Yes, he's amazing. But why can't you get there? Why not? Like there's, you know, someone's got to, haven't they? So why not you? Um, and if you think about it and schedule your time and be mindful of how you train, you know, why you train, even down to like what you eat as well. Like um, I, I think for me, like I, I still, even though I'm not competing in freestyle, I'm still training a lot in freestyle, but I still, I'd still sort of treat myself as like an athlete with like what I eat. And I, I try and sort of give myself the best chance of being the best person I can in every little bit. And yeah, that's exciting because there's always things to improve on. And that's part of life. You know, you're never going to be perfect, which is actually very beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Because it'd just be boring otherwise. Um, I going back to Ronaldo and Messi. I mean, some people think that they're just aliens, and you know, it's just ridiculous what they can do. But I remember uh, listening to um, it was Carlo Ancelotti when he was at Real Madrid. His his assistant, his, his assistant, his assistant manager uh, Paul, ah, I forget his name. Anyway, he he was with him at PSG and uh, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, I think. And he was asked about Ronaldo, and he said, "It's just no." It's, there's no secret to why he is like he is. He's there before everybody else and he stays after everybody else. There's been so yeah. many, so many players and teammates, former teammates that have spoken that he's just, what he does, it's not magic. It just works harder than anybody else. And this is Ronaldo at 34, 35 years yeah. old, could retire for six lifetimes. Yeah. But he just wants to keep getting better and better. And he's five Ballon d'Ors, five Champions Leagues, or whatever he's got. He's just won his ninth Serie. Sorry, he's just won the Serie A for the second time. It, you know, it's just that work. It's that practice. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's just there's just no secret. He sacrificed everything as need to become who he is. Like even the fact that he doesn't drink, he doesn't have tattoos and stuff. And it's a real credit to his like mindset. <laughs> You know, yeah. there must be so many temptations, especially when you're at that level where you've got all the money in the world, you can have pretty much anything you want. But for whatever reason, he's got this like intrinsic drive to become better at that age. Like he's won everything, hasn't he? Like absolutely everything. Um, World Cup, but yeah. That. You think about, you think about, you know, parents listening now, it might be, well, I'm, I'm unsure whether or not I want my child to go all in yeah. on the in a sport and then dedicate their life to it and then end up at 16 being released by an academy thank, thanks but no thanks but you mm. think about you think about those softer skills that will be developed as a result of this drive and, 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 and resilience that's built up and things like that that's going to help you so much when it comes to the real life the working world and you know I, I think there's a lot of uh, ex-sportsmen that end up going into you know, very, very good jobs and, and being very good at those jobs because of this attitude that they've got to work and, and the resilience to deal with failures and so forth. Whereas I don't, I think if you've not had that and you've not been involved in sport, that, that can be harder to develop, particularly when you get a little bit older. 
Um, well, going back to like when we were at Garfield, Luke, the, um, the, the sort of training that we had, a lot of those lads have gone on to, they, they might not have all been footballers, but they've gone on to do incredible things. Like when we were speaking about some of them and like that, that ethos, that, that training, like I know that like when I was training there and like that heaviness of, of what we went through, like that, that set me in such good stead for, for when I went into other things, you know, um, I agree. I think it's always character, always the character like that. Once you've developed that, you really can like put your mind to, to anything. You become a hard person to, to beat, if you want to put it that way. Definitely. I, I think uh, Simon, Simon Clifford, I'm hoping we'll, we'll get on the podcast at some point. He's, um, you know, he's a guy that we both know very well and, and way ahead of his time in terms of uh, youth football development, but a, a conversation for another time, definitely. But yeah. He was he was a big proponent of fitness as well, and um, when we're at Garth, if I have never been as fit in all my life, and you know when you get into that point where you feel sick because you've sprinted that much in preseason, I think anything that I've done since work-wise, you know, in my career, has comes doesn't come close to the pain that I felt that <laughs> night. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, just bring yeah. it on now. Is this is easy? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying kids that you need to go make yourself sick by sprinting, but I'm saying <laughs> these experiences in sport have helped you know develop this mindset, I guess. Um, yeah. John, your parents. We were talking before about um, you were on um, when we were at Garth. I think it was you were on calendar, and uh, you, your parents were proudly looking on at you in the garden um you're probably in the middle of a six-hour training session or whatever and they were just saying that you know they're so proud of you and they and they just support you if you want to do it you do it and, and that and that's what i wanted to ask you now was how did your parents support you and to get to where you you have and would there be anything that you might do differently if and when you have children Yes. Um, I mean, my parents never, ever pushed me. I think I, I had that obsession with the ball and that, that that's what, what drove me. But they just sort of guided me and helped me and just sort of quietly were there for me. And as I grew up and started like my own business and stuff, and then I sort of moved away from them, they'd just always be there to, to support. And they never pushed me once. Um, and when I think back, I think if I if I was pushed into anything, I'd have probably because I'm quite sort of um, I like to be my own person. I'd have probably like gone up against that and sort of uh, dig my heels in and gone the other way. So I'm so so grateful for that. I think they could recognise within me that you know when I was in my teenage years and starting to train freestyle, they could just see that I, I had that love for it, and I think they wanted to give me the best chance for me to, to to follow that even though the career path wasn't very straightforward or even mapped out I mean I didn't really know how I was going to make it work I just love what I did so I think that that really helped me knowing that they were just going to support me and there were a few times that you know um I remember like my dad saying like you know you're about to leave college like what are your plans or you know how are you planning to to sort of approach the next years and and that made me think and you know so they, they always like put things into my mind and like guided me but they never told me what to do they always supported me and like also like when I was growing up I had so many disappointments like when I started to get 
or try to get really good at freestyle like a lot of earlier competitions that I entered I never I never won them I'd, I'd sort of maybe scratch through and I was meeting people that inspired me which, which was the main thing um I mean I did all right in some of them but it, it wasn't it wasn't all like plain sailing um so it was just nice to know that like I had a family that that supported me as well and also like kept my feet on the ground um, and Simon's always been a big part of that I, we spoke about like if it wasn't for my parents and it wasn't for those around me at that period of time um, I, I don't know what I would have done or I don't know how my, my sort of life would have gone because you do need the right people around you and I think there's a saying isn't there about you are like the five people that you surround yourself with yeah. um, and I think that's, that's important without you knowing it, you, your subconscious mind picks up on things. Um, and, you know, people have, have written loads about it. You know, even the science of that, like who you surround yourself with. Like, I think if you're, if you're in a certain environment, you, you sort of by osmosis become that environment, whether it be at school, whether it be who you train with, whether it be your friends, like if all your friends play Xbox, not saying it's bad to play Xbox all the time, but if all your friends play xbox and eat pizza and drink coca-cola then the chances are your willpower is being tested there to really like just do that and you'll, you'll become that um but if that's not what you want for your life you might want to think well how can i surround myself even by watching people like if i going back to ronaldo if i ever watch ronaldo or like a documentary about him it's like i always think to myself i can be a bit better than that well, i could live a bit better i can so nowadays because there's so much information it's like how we filter that and it's how we surround ourselves for me i surround myself i, I read a lot of books like I, a lot of people that have inspired me in, in my freestyle career and, and sort of outside freestyle have come from like books videos people and i think if you know what you want and where you want to be and you know for kids you, you don't always know what you want to do or be you probably love football that's great but as you get a bit older then you start to like have to think about what where you want to be that's important i found that hard to begin with but when it all when you know when all was said and done i just did follow what what i felt was right in my heart and that was initially freestyle and, and it, it paid off so brilliant and I think we ask that question every time we have a guest on about how their parents supported them. And I think the key word is support. They, yeah. you know, all these people that have gone on to be successful in their chosen fields, they were guided and you use that word guidance. It's something that as coaches as well, we're, we're not there to give the answers. We're there to guide them. And is yeah. this whole thing at the moment, particularly in football about how um, you get a lot of joy sticking as it's called. So it's so, a, Parents do it, coaches do it, where you're telling the child all the time during a match, do this, do this, do this. They learn nothing. You don't get, you don't go into a maths classroom and start yeah. telling your kid the answers while they're in school. So why are you doing that on a football field? Yeah. It's guiding them, asking them questions. Because you know yourself, you don't learn anything from being told. You no. learn when you've actually done it. Yeah. And you get the answer yourself. And so yeah. that, that guidance there that you're saying from your parents as opposed to saying, do this, do that, that's yeah. probably helped you, well, certainly helped you on your journey. Do you know what's interesting about that? I, I read something, someone passed it on to me, I think it was about, it was about the learning curve, and apparently, right, that the fastest learning curve related to, like, sport and, like, skill acquisition was the environment of a skate park. So, no parents, no coaching, just, like, 
doing a trick, fail, get up, doing a trick, fail. And that environment of like maybe a few people that are better than you, a few people below you and in this community. And that's what freestyles become. Like the levels of freestyle now are absolutely ridiculous. And I, 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 you know, for anyone listening and watching this, you know, if you just go into YouTube and put in like Red Bull Street style Super Bowl, which is like our world championship in our sport, and you see some of the tricks and skills that are possible. And they didn't, those guys don't have coaches, like they, they're, they're a community and they're bouncing off each other. And it's similar to like in futsal where it's very organic, street soccer would be another example. Like a lot of those players that came from the street soccer environment, yeah, they had guidance tactically, you know, later on. But I do believe that a lot of that, what, what would be quoted as like natural skill was was formed in a in an in an organic environment and when you like mix those two together i think that's like the perfect balance like chaos and order you know like you definitely yeah, need yeah. that but yeah like the whole like pointing your finger and like constantly on top that's just like um yeah i, I mean it, it's 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 like creating rules that are not needed a little bit do you know what i mean it, it, it makes it too robotic and when it becomes too robotic then nobody enjoys that that mechanical side of it i don't think anyway no. i think it's about enjoyment fun and, and learning and sort of progressing organically as well as the other stuff so yeah it's important that's it i mean the street football thing is something that's dead it's died you know unless unless you go into a specific football style session that is, is, is yeah. done in that way and as a nation i guess we've we've not really benefited from that because you are getting now a few more. I mean, we're making very good players now, but I think there's still some things missing. And I think it's that game intelligence, which yeah. like you said, comes from playing in that environment where there's lots of chaos. You have to move your head around yeah. all the time to see where you are and see what's going on. And it's, it's something that certainly in our line of business, when we're, you know, parents pay, pay for, for their children to come to us and be coached, yeah. It's really hard for some of them to grasp why we do things the way we do it. And, and our, our view is, is that we will coach them for a certain part of the session, show mm. them things, guide them through it. But then the matches at the end, we try to stay silent. Um, yeah. Silence the wrong way, but we try to you know, be enthusiastic and um, almost yeah. commentate you know, and keep, keep the energy levels. But we try yeah. not to stop it. Whereas you go to some grassroots football and it's like, everybody stop, stand still. Now, if football were meant to be taught like that, it'd be taught in a classroom, and and that's and that's a quote from Nick, our co-founder. You know, he's he's very very passionate on this, and it's so true. But you have to; it's hard for us to balance what we know is right with all that parents watching over there, and I've not said anything for the last thirty seconds. I better open my mouth and make a coaching point. It's it's just a bit of a nonsense. But I'm hoping now there's going to be a shift, and let them play just let them yeah. play yeah guide them show them some stuff but you know let them that, play that's it it comes out I, i'm always baffled by um how create creative like i mean everyone has levels of creativity but i do believe we're all creative in, in some in some shape or form but kids are so like creative they learn fast aren't they and like the, the more you sort of knock that out of them they, i think the the, the less progressive we become as humans and then again i think that's in a lot of things as well yeah. you know like progressions in any field were made by not following the, the the strict rule and the box it was by thinking a bit abstractly thinking about different things and yeah it might might be weird to begin with but 
you know, it, it progresses and becomes the norm eventually. Definitely. We, we trialled some stuff at our, one of our camps, um, I think it was last year, and for half an hour with each group, we, we selected somebody to um, take the session, a child. So, right, you've got half an hour, you've got to come up with a, we told, we told them this at lunchtime, they had to come up with a session at lunchtime while they were eating the lunch, and then they were going <laughs> to deliver it to their group. And it was, we probably took more from it from a coaching perspective than we've done with most football coaching courses. Cause what we saw was leadership skills coming out Um there was like a hierarchy. So, so this, this one player was giving jobs to the other players to do. It might be get the cones or whatever, whatever. And some of the stuff they were coming up with was brilliant. And how many, how much opportunities the children have to do things like that in their life, which let's, let's face it is probably, that's probably going to help them more in the future than some stuff they're doing at school. And yeah, yeah. Those, those things, those ability to lead a team, to think of something on the spot and all these little softer skills. And it was, it was absolutely fantastic. We've said we're going to do a lot more of it. Um, it's it, not that as well, didn't they? It might, might get to the point where we just say, right, from, from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon, <laughs> we'll go have a cup of tea. <laughs> but no, it was really, really good. Um, John, I've got a quick one. Well, I don't know if it's a quick one for you, but I uh, I was keen, and I imagine um, a few of the kids might be keen to know this. What is the hardest skill you've had to learn, hardest skill you've learned, if you could describe it? Yeah, um, there's, I always say the hardest trick that I've ever done, it was for a video I did a few years ago, and it's not the type of skill that I can do over and over, and it, it involves um, a few different things. So it's basically... It's basically one of my favorite tricks is like you have a ball in your neck, you know, when you back heel it up and it comes yeah. over. I always love that trick because of the perception and the control needed. Um, but I decided I wanted to try and combine that with a backflip because I, I started playing gymnastics and again, like trying to think outside the box. I was like, what can I bring into what I do that maybe no one's doing or would actually work? So, um, so yeah, for me, that I, I always say it's the hardest thing because the process, it took me a year just to learn a backflip. Uh, and then once I learned the backflip, it was like, how do I mix that with the flip and then catch it again, which can take many attempts. Um, but the process of learning the backflip was so uh, challenging for me because I was scared. I was scared of like jumping up and going backwards and, and sort of flipping. And, you know, obviously I didn't want to break my neck or get injured. So I had to approach that um, very slowly and not rush. And, you know, I didn't want to injure myself. So yeah just getting over that initial fear of doing the flips and stuff that that was that was a big thing for me um so that that was a very difficult skill and i i, I you know i wanted to do it for a, one particular video and it took me one year just to even attempt it and then try and do it so sometimes with freestyle it just honestly it's it's demoralizing like it, it's it's such a good teacher because it teaches you not just the skill but like the patience uh, you know, you can go out, do a skill. And um, like one of the other tricks that I managed to just about get was, uh, it's called a Jordan stall. You basically do a soul balance, like where you bounce the ball on your soul. Um, a lot of kids will have probably seen it done, but to do that in a, in a handstand. So you're kind of in a inverted position in a handstand while balancing the ball. I managed to do it. I've not mastered it. Definitely not mastered it. But again, that took me like three or four months just to do it once in a video. And, and, and I'm still like trying to do it, but some tricks you can get and you know, it's cool. Like you move on to the next thing and someone's just 
like just so difficult but like say it's a good teacher it's a good teacher for like patience and perseverance um and yeah like i say i've, I've sort of tried to use that same uh, approach in other parts of my life and it, it's definitely helps <laughs> so there you go kids um after this you can get off and try and do a couple of bad things i remember uh, i remember um when we were at Gaff, I was doing some coaching for uh, for the Brazilian soccer schools up there, and I think you were doing some filming. I think you were doing some filming for one of the DVDs, and I've walked with the kids past those. Remember those little um, Astro carts? That they oh, had yeah. yeah, yeah. So they were brilliant then. And yeah. I walked past those, and all these kids have seen you, and I'll never forget it. You were doing um, you were doing uh, uh, skipping rope. You were skipping rope and. Uh, heading the ball while you're yeah. doing that and I mean that's probably one that you could do now eyes closed and everything else at the time I was thinking wow and all these kids turn around to me say are we doing that today are we doing that today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <whoa>. <laughs> <laughs> listen I'll, I'll teach you how to slide tackle and head that, that's, that's as much as you'll get from me but yeah <laughs> unbelievable stuff but yeah that's guys if you've not seen John um, if, I'm not going to say too much now but we're hopefully going to get him down again with us to do a few sessions, but please YouTube what he does because it is—it's um, motivational as much as anything. It's amazing. Um, you, you and I, John, you—you you more so than me. Uh, but Nick certainly, uh, our co-founder, he—he um, he obviously did a lot of the Brazilian soccer schools. And the yeah. big thing, the big thing, or the little thing, was the ball. Um, yeah. You know, this this ball that Simon had brought over and uh, heavier. Uh, a lot like the, you know, futsal is a, a sort of a different, a different thing. Now it's a bigger ball and so on. But this one was heavier, uh, tiny. I think it was a size two, and that, you know, that certainly helped everybody from a, a skill perspective. And you could master the ball better. Did the, the question was, did that help you with your mastery of the football? And is there anything else since that has helped you get to where you have done? Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That that changed my life, if I'm honest, because with with the with the football de salon ball at Brazilian soccer schools, that was completely alien to me when I first started. And it really helped me get my coordination better with my feet. Um, and actually, because freestyle was so difficult with that ball, my mind was always like, well, if I can do a trick with this ball, it's because so much easier with a big one so I think that's what gave me a bit of a, an advantage when I was getting started and I used to train with that ball that much that even my first shows um that that Simon had me do like because I all I knew was the size two I'd even do like full shows with a size two ball I probably couldn't do that now because I'm yeah. so used to the big one but that helps me so when I, I took freestyle more seriously with the traditional ball and the size five yeah it was honestly like it was a joke how many more like around the world I could do like everything it enhanced. Um, but going back to like, you know, the present day and stuff I've used, it, it it's a tough one really, because it all comes back to the ball. Um, like with, with all my learning, I, I try and, I try and figure out what I'm going to do and I try and break it down. And then like we we're saying, do those little things and just have like confidence that it's going to work in the end. So for example, that handstand trick, I would just do the hand, learn a handstand, 
with a crash mat, you know, that might take you a few weeks or months or even years, but if you do want to do it, it's just what you got to do. And then you put the ball in. So I think what I've become all right at over the years is just sort of breaking down a skill. So I understand it, even though my brain doesn't understand it yet doing those little bits and then trying to like stick them together um so with my challenges a lot of it is fitness based where i'll mix in like i'll be doing like loads and loads of maybe running or um weight work on my legs to improve that so when i was training for the sahara because i didn't have that much time to train because i had a lot of engagements to do i would do maybe one or two heavy days which doesn't sound a lot for something that big but on those heavy days, I really went heavy. So rather than just do like my training on the sand um, with the ball just up and down, I would put like weights on my back. I'd be carrying kettlebells. I'd do something to make it so much harder. So then when I took that off, it felt like I, I did maybe a week's training in one day or a week's worth of training. So yeah, I'm always after things like that where I can work smart. You know, like we're saying, there is only so many hours in a day and it's like, how you use those um you know you can train you can train an hour mindlessly and you're not going to get good at anything but you can train for 10 minutes with like laser focus and probably achieve as much if not more than the hour and where i'm at now with my time is that is like how can i be more efficient with my time do i need to train 12 hours a day or could i do that in two hours but be like bang phone off no distractions mm. so that's what i'm trying to figure out now is like how efficient can you be with time with training and and with the goals as well yeah interesting it's um the smaller ball we the uh, the fds balls we we insisted on them for our two youngest groups when we started um about six years ago because we yeah. we know the ben we knew the benefit of them they've stopped making them um they, they they stopped making them a while ago i think which is disappointing because i i think yeah. they were great they were great for kids because particularly the younger ones they have a habit of just blasting the ball yeah, and those those couldn't go that far. Um, I think the futsal ones are slightly lighter um, than, than they were, so you know we can yeah. get them, and they only come in size threes, I believe. So, yeah, mm. it was um, it's, a, it's disappointing to see them sort of come to an end, really, because they were you yeah. and I have seen the first and the benefit of those. Because it was um, Mita, wasn't it, that made them? And yeah. I know a lot of the the brands such as Adidas and Nike have really. Puma maybe have, have sort of taken over the football. So, yeah, it's a shame because I think if every kid had one of those balls to, to train with, even for 10 minutes a night, you know, doing some of the footwork stuff, I do believe that that, that, that would help massively for technical development and also physical. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, the, the FDS games that, you know, you're so yeah. tight because it's full on, um, very fast, very rapid. But again, going back to that, creating chaos for, for development that that's, there's no better environment for that. I don't think. Oh, no, I think um, there's, there's some studies. I don't want to get too deep into this cause it's, uh, it's only exciting for a coach, this, this particular part, but the, uh, <laughs> I think there's some um, research in IACS that has gone into looking at how children can use a bigger ball, but, but lighter. So it's a lighter ball. Um, so they can kick it as they would want to kick a little ball. And and then when they come to get to the point where they're using the size fours and fives, they're more comfortable with it. I, I, I you know, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know the, the findings, but it's something that Nick and I have kept an eye on because um, 
we were thinking of trialing it and seeing what we we believe the smaller balls at the younger end definitely it's a it's a big big plus but then also throwing in smaller balls with the older kids every now and again and just varying things it's um it's a good thing to do yeah. um john yeah, you nice. you've met you've met a lot of footballers professional footballers um and I've seen videos of them and they just can't believe what you're doing, even though they're, they're professional footballers and you're doing it. <laughs> it's like jaws are dropping. Um, who's the best? Well, in, fact, in fact, just tell us maybe three or four players that you've met and then tell us who's the, who's the best you've met. Good question. Um, well, I'd say, well, a few of them that I've met and, and I've worked with them all in, on different things, some longer than others. So uh, I've, was lucky enough to meet Ronaldinho, who was one of my heroes. Uh, Neymar, again, another Brazilian legend and hero. Um, who else? That, um, well, I've, I have met a lot. So I'm trying to think, like Juan Mata, I interviewed Michael Carrick. Um, oh, Thomas Muller, I did some stuff with. Spent a lot of time with him, actually, just before the new year. Um, who else? Back in the day, we did the stuff with JJ Kocha. Um, yeah, did some stuff with Mikel Antonio a few years back, who's obviously now, at, he, he's, he's doing well, isn't he, at West Ham? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, really. But yeah, I, I have, I've, I've been so, so lucky. Um, and yeah, a lot of the players I've met now, or I'm meeting now is a lot through Kickabout. So I'm more like Raheem Sterling, actually. I did an interview with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, every now and again, I'll... I'll I'll get the chance to like meet a player, whether it be from freestyle or even just like speaking to them. But I love doing the Q and A's with them because you get to ask them some good questions, you know, really like tease out why they're so good. Um, but in terms of being the best, I think Neymar from a freestyle perspective is, I reckon he's probably the best freestyler out of the footballers. Better than Ronaldinho? Probably not Ronaldinho. I'm trying to think of like current day. I'd say Ronaldinho trumps all of them. Maybe followed by a Kocha, like a JJ Kocha. Um, even though he wasn't like a Brazilian player or, but if he was in the Brazil team at that time, he would have maybe been like one player. <laughs> yeah. And when he was at Bolton, he was a joke. Like he, he was yeah. doing like rainbow flicks in games. But he, he was efficient with it. He scored goals. Like he, you know, he, he was an incredible footballer. Um, but yeah, I think for skills, like freestyle skills, so, you know, some real iconic tricks like around the world, top the world, two's on around the world, some of them quite technical. And Neymar actually said, because before I met him, I read his book because I wanted to like figure out a bit more about him and, you know, about his, his life. And he says in his book that he watches a lot of freestyle on YouTube to inspire him, you know, to, to think up new tricks, new skills. So when he's at home, he can just always be with the ball and I found that super fascinating how freestyle is such a big part of the traditional game so for that him but do you know who surprised me he was an amazing footballer like loved loved playing with him uh, it was Thomas Muller obviously oh. a world winner he's done everything but yeah he could do he could do some good tricks you know like around the world he was he was like popping them off left right and center such a cool guy, but the way he struck a ball um, was was fascinating. Like we we did this challenge, we did we had some fun, did some freestyle, and kicked the ball around. And then at the end, we, we were hitting these targets, and I was like all over the place. Muller was just like bang, bang, but he wasn't just like chipping it. He was like full on knuckleballing it. It was a joke. 
I was laughing. I thought I think he thought I was laughing at him, but I was just laughing at how consistent he was. And it yeah. makes you realise like what it takes to be uh, a player of his caliber and how consistent he is. But it was just just fascinating to like watch his approach. You so relaxed as well in the ball, and he's not really known, is he, for like his skills and his like sort of expression? But he scored some goals, and he when I spent that time with him, I was I was hugely impressed with him. Such a lovely yeah, guy. Yeah. I think he's known more for his intelligence, isn't he? His, his runs that he makes and things like that. Yeah. But he's a yeah, very, very good footballer. German efficiency and all that, isn't he? He's, he just yeah. gets, gets yeah. done. Um, going back to Ronaldinho, for any children listening and watching, um, he, I can't even describe the guy, he made a lot of, my, myself and John, our era, uh, he made a lot of us fall in love with football. Um, yeah. him, him and his, his partner, uh, Brazilian Ronaldo. So, Please go and Google those two, Brazilian Ronaldo and um, and Ronaldinho, and just sit back and enjoy because they that era of players. You think about those two, you think about Zidane, Figo at the time, and any of the Real Madrid players really, and the uh, the old Nike advert uh, with the three v threes in the cage and stuff. It oh, was yeah. such a brilliant era of football, and um, yeah, please kids, go and Google Ronaldinho and just some of the stuff he did. But, but what's really interesting, what you just said there about Neymar is that, you know, you know there's, a, there's, there's winning and there's losing in football, but there's also that winning in style. And yeah. I think Neymar is probably case in point. Frustrating player for a lot of, for a lot of uh, spectators some of the times. But Ronaldinho, the way that he played and won um, was just probably what you'd want. I guess, you know, you look at like it's a Messi and Ronaldo now as well, the way that they play the game it's just so exciting to watch and interesting yeah. to watch. And Ronaldinho did things with the ball on the field against the world's yeah. best yeah. that were just mind-blowing. Um, getting stand innovations at the Bernabeu and all that sort of stuff. Just, yeah. I, I remember, like, the kids are honestly, like, I can only just repeat what Luke said because he, he was doing it at the top. Like, his, do you remember his Elastico? Yeah. You knew it was coming, but the way, because in Brazil they call it jinga, don't they? The way you move, it's like, um, it's, it's not just doing the move. There's like a style and like cockiness to it. And he just had this like way of moving. He was strong. He was, he, but he also played with a smile on his face constantly. Like, he, and, and that had a real lightheartedness to him that, yeah, he, he sort of epitomized football. It, it, it is why you should be like entertaining like you should work hard and express yourself but you should also have fun and also enjoy the ball and, and if things don't work out th there's worse things that can happen so just keep on going you know definitely definitely john we're near at the end i wanted to ask you about your challenges and and uh, give some info to because going back to what we've said you know you you were obsessed with football you loved football uh, from a young age and then You've ended up out of that, forging a career where you football is your career, just not as a player. Um, but then on top of that, you've decided to break numerous world records and do numerous challenges. To I mean, raising money for charity as well. It's it's amazing stuff that you do. So, like before, you were saying you climbed up part of of, of uh, Mount Everest, juggling a ball. You've got across the Sahara, juggling a ball. Um, What's the hardest challenge you've done so far? That's a good question. I think the three endurance ones that I've done over the past three years, they've all equally been 
tough. So Everest was for the altitude. So we went up to 6,000 meters of the mountain, which was incredibly tough. Um, it was like nine days, 12 hours a day with a lunch break, basically kicking a ball up a mountain that's, that, it's, yeah, just the experience of being in, in, in that part of the world where, where not many people get to. And there are dangers in that, you know, territory, but it was amazing. Like Everest will always like sit in my heart as like, cause that was one of the first big challenges that scared me to death, which is part of the reason why I did it. And I did it because I unfortunately lost my granddad who like got me into football and very massively supported me in freestyle and always gave me good words of advice. And that's what got me on this route of doing the challenges. So when that all happened, I was like, well, what can I do that's like challenging? And everyone talks about Everest. It's just the word Everest means challenge. It means doing something that you can't do. It means going beyond your, your current capabilities. Um, so that's what got me thinking way bigger than I had previously. And then off the back of that, we did the Sahara. Again, you know, there was no altitude with the Sahara. In fact, a lot of that, you know, it does go high, but it's sea level, if not below. But you're just in the the hottest place you've ever experienced and sand isn't the easiest uh, surface to pick a ball in the air across. So that was tough. Um, we did that one over seven days and then more recently, feels like a lifetime ago now, but I can't believe that was this year. We did uh, Lake Baikal in Siberia. So Lake, Lake Baikal, it's not as famous location wise, but it's the it's the deepest lake in the world it's the the biggest uh, lake in the world and the oldest lake in the world so it's 25 million years old and for three months of the year it freezes so my plan was to within 48 hours cross from one side of the lake to the other which is 80 kilometers um so essentially doing a back-to-back -back marathon across ice so I, I managed to do that just even though I had a very bad injury. I picked up an injury along the way because of the endurance of it. Um, so they've all, it's hard to like pick up one that's like the bet, the hardest, but they've all had like different, um, different uh, elements of them that have been difficult for, for different reasons. So yeah, Everest was the altitude and terrain. Sahara was the terrain being sand and, and Baikal was just the, the distance in the time, but also it was minus 20, which isn't <laughs> um, So yeah, all different parts, but there's more to be done. And, um, and I, I, enjoy, I enjoy the adventure of it. And, and all of these challenges I do for four charities, which is really nice to, um, to do something that I, I mean, I do them anyway, don't get me wrong, but it's nice to do something like that um, for, for good causes. It, it, feels like an amazing thing not for me but for for them you know so what's next what have you got up your sleeve so my whole my whole year has been you know had to it's been shuffled around an awful lot so my plan was actually to do death valley next but i don't know when how i don't you know Death Valley obviously is the hottest part of the world. Not many people have crossed it, certainly with a ball on foot. So that will be my next Call thing. Death Valley for a reason, John. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in all honesty, I was um, 
I was prepping to do that in September. That's clearly not going to happen now because of the, you know, the, the prep needed and also the sponsorship needed and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm sort of hanging tight to be honest. So w when, um, you know, when, when everything starts to die down fully, I feel that I'll, I'll be, I'll be raring to go. Um, but I've got a few ideas. I think I always try and think of new things, different things, different parts of the world, different terrains, um, and different challenges. And you know, it keeps me, uh, it keeps me on my toes. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, you know where we are when it comes to uh, your next challenge. We'd love to sponsor you again because it's. Uh, you guys have been a massive support. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, John, I know how busy you are. We, I know it sounds silly because we're all at home at the moment, but you've still got a lot going on in terms of the uh, the TV stuff. So I'm going to leave you to it. Thanks, Thank you so much for coming on. Um, so much to take away for kids and parents there and coaches. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll look forward to inviting you back up to see us soon. And uh, just before we go, John, for, so people can check you out and, uh, and also, you know, see what you're doing charity-wise next and things. Where's the best place for people to find you? So a lot of my challenges that I've done, the sort of bigger videos are on YouTube. So my YouTube channel is just my name, John Farnworth, but my daily videos and content is going out on Instagram and TikTok. So my big focus at the minute is TikTok. I'm doing a lot of short form videos, a lot of editing, spending an awful lot of time on that. So yeah, if anyone fancies checking out some of the regular stuff I do, just, you, you just put my name into any of those platforms and, and you, should, you should see me. Brilliant. John, thanks a lot, mate, and we'll, uh, we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Cheers, Luke.